Hello, and welcome to Bubby Brister's Brunch Buddies, your go-to show for football history, analysis, and general sports information on the Cowboys, Washington football team, and Seattle Mariners on KMIH 88.9 The Bridge. I'm Harry Gollum, here with Andrew Pearson. Of course, as per usual. Now, it's our first show since summer break, and it is great to be back. Oh, Today, it's wonderful, yeah. Today, Andrew and I are going to be covering tonight's matchup between Tom Brady's Buccaneers and Dak Prescott, I guess, and the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> Dak and company. <laughs> uh, Dak and the local YMCA on defense. Uh, additionally, we're going to examine the Mariners and their never-say-die playoff chances. Should have been dead and buried a long time ago. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. First, we're going to dive into the opening matchup of the NFL season. Now, Andrew. I'm going to tell you something that's absolutely shocking. The Cowboys dominate the historical series against the Buccaneers. Wow, I'm so surprised. I'll give you time to collect your jaw from the floor. So they've gone 15 and four against the Bucs since since the teams initially began facing off. And it's actually interesting because three of those four losses came in three consecutive uh, contests starting in 2000 and concluding in 03. So the peak Gruden years in Tampa were the years that the Cowboys couldn't touch them. Right? Yeah, and keep in mind, folks, that the uh, the Bucks won the Super Bowl back in 02 with John Gruden. So this was that like, was the one it, year in that streak they didn't play. Of course, but <laughs> but um, but the super early two thousands Bucks. So from like two thousand to like maybe oh six oh seven, these Bucks were really good teams. Mm. And this was back when when John Gruden wasn't. A GM, so when he knew how to stay in his lane a little yeah. bit. I, don't know. I mean, to like, be fair, I'll... I really—I've uh, said this before, and I'll, I'll say it again. I do still believe that John Gruden is a good coach. He is just a terrible, terrible GM. They—they they say Mike Mayock's a GM over there in 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 Nevada. All right, over there in Vegas, he's not. You, you know, they just actually—they actually recently. The rumor is they just called for Khalil Mack back. Oh, yeah, I saw about that, which I mean, <laughs> bruh. <laughs> but anyways, that's a tangent. That's a tangent. Yes. Wait, you know, I'm sure when the Raiders trade their entire roster for a running back because he plays football the Raider way, we'll have plenty more to say about that. But until that happens, let's focus in. So there's only one loss that the Cowboys have suffered against the Buccaneers outside of the aforementioned three-game losing streak between 2000 and 03. And that was in 2015, okay? 2015. Oh, this would have been this would have been the year where Tony Romer went out. It was Kellen Moore at quarterback. Kellen Moore. Was it? it was Kellen Moore and one other backup who rotated yeah, in there. Yeah, well, well, it wasn't Kellen Moore this game, so we'll see. We'll it wasn't, see if you it can wasn't put... Sanchez, right? No, it was not Sanchez. So... The Cowboys go in and play, right? Uh-huh. So entering Raymond James Stadium in Tampa, the Buccaneers were 3-5 and five with, and this is true, rookie quarterback Jameis Winston. Future face of the <laughs> franchise, Jameis Winston. This is back when people were really sure that he was the real deal, folks, you know? Those first two uh, years of Jameis, they, he really fooled everybody, didn't he? Yeah. So the Cowboys coming off that controversial playoff exit in 2014 were just an absolutely miserable two and six. And of course, of that, that that wasn't the same team in fairness. Des Bryant had been dealing with nagging injuries and the team had actually suffered six consecutive losses since Romo got injured. 
So they were actually two and zero at one point. That they were. Last. They had a. They were. A, <laughs> they were a perfect record. Yeah. So, as one might expect from such a clash of titans, there was no touchdowns in the first three quarters. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. So Dan Bailey kicks one through the uprights in the first quarter. Then they trade field goals in the second, sending Dallas into the locker room with a 6-3 lead. Insurmountable, I know. Dallas certainly felt very secure. And this was back when Dan James... Bailey was good, too. Mm-hmm. This was back before you guys needed to turn to Greg the Leg. Greg the Leg is good, but whatever. Continue. Is he, though? Mm, last year. We don't talk about it. We don't talk about okay. it. Okay. Well, anyway, the Cowboys certainly felt very secure in their lead because they let Jameis Winston scramble for a touchdown. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And so a late Hail Mary uh, just overshot Des Bryant and actually it was intercepted. But Des Bryant didn't fight the uh, defensive back for the interception because he thought he was going to get a pass interference call. (laughs) So he just stood there as the game slipped by, (laughs) waiting for the call. And that was actually the seventh missed pass directed at Des Bryant that game, more than he had catches. Oh, my gosh. Now, Andrew, you're a a Cowboys fan. That's correct. I'm going to ask you to relive some painful moments. Who was the quarterback? In that in this game for the Cowboys it was not Kellen Moore. There's your hint. So so for for the folks who don't know, uh, the backups going into that 2015 year, obviously Tony Rowan was the, was going to be the starter. I know Kellen Moore was one of the backups, but I don't remember the other backup. You know, he also filled in for another legendary quarterback in the 2000s. That 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 narrows it down so little. Okay, okay. Give me give me give me, uh, give me a little a bit more of a specific hint. Let's see here. He was a backup for a really, really famous good quarterback. He filled in pretty well in I believe 08, and then was picked up to be a franchise quarterback and never worked out. Oh, oh. Um this is this was the backup uh this was a backup to Brady. Yep, that's right. This is the backup to Brady. He tore his ACL. He went to the Chiefs. Went to the Chiefs. Flamed out with the Chiefs. Oh, I don't remember his name. I know who you're talking about, but I I, I forget yep. the name. It Matt was Matt Castle. Uh, Matt Castle. There you go. There you go. So, uh, you know, legend Matt Castle. Uh, but just I'm gonna ask you to see if you can if you can pull this one off. Okay. So this is actually the folks at home. Last year, Andrew was actually perfect on guessing. So this is the first time I've gotten Andrew. Uh, That's right. With Matt Castle. <laughs> so who were the who was the leading rusher for Tampa that game? That game? Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't... He was their starting running back. I'm not like messing with you here. This is their starting running back from back in the day. And he was pretty good. Like I remember this because the last Madden I ever bought was Madden 16. So I have all the 2015 rosters burned into my skull. Uh, but oh, he was a solid running back throughout the mid 2010s for the uh for the bucks did he play on any other teams yes he definitely did but was he's he... really only good for the bucks he was really only good for the bucks see i i don't know my early don't to know your mid... bucks history i don't yeah i don't know that history okay all right i'll i'll, I'll wave that when you, when you tell me that when you tell me the name i'm gonna be angry doug martin doug martin oh 
Doug Martin. That was hard. Yeah. That that, that, that was, was hard. Yeah. yeah I'll wave hard, that though, one. Yeah. Now this one you should get. Who was the Cowboys leading rusher that game? Now again, this isn't some sort of trick question. Okay. He was their running back that year. Um. This was the year that that they cut Demar. That they cut. Yeah, DeMar- it wasn't Demarco right? Murray. No. Um. It might have been Darren McFadden. That's right. Let's go. Let's go. He does it again. He does it again. He was a little rusty. Had to shake off a bit of rust, but he's back in question-answering shape. All righty. So, yeah, a pretty miserable game for the Cowboys, all things considered, uh, and a pretty miserable season. But they got a top draft pick, which they used on Ezekiel Elliott. So, you Instead know. of Jalen Ramsey. Yep. Who are the – who's the real winners here? <laughs> huh, folks? <laughs> uh but, but they they, not... they ended up getting Dak Dak Prescott in that draft, so let's not let's not sell the Cowboys super short there. Now listen, listen, we just gotta have some fun at the Cowboys' expense. Now, that being said, I don't want to give I don't want to mislead anyone, right? I don't want to tell anyone because I've I've talked only about the Cowboys losing to the Bucks when, as I said before, the historical series is fifteen four Cowboys. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the only game that went to overtime between these two teams. So on October 9th, 1983 oh my gosh now now you really wouldn't have expected this game to go into overtime because dallas was playing at home mm-hmm. and five games into the season guess what dallas's record was it it must have been like four we're, we're five games into the season right mm-hmm. so yeah, it must five have been like four and one three and two they, five and oh five and oh because they, they were good the, they, were, they were good and they mm-hmm, were good in the mm-hmm. 80s now guess what the bucks record was they had to have been winless. This this was yeah, but, yeah this was still when the Bucks were. They really made the bad. playoffs last year though. Or the previous or no, year. Or no, yeah, the Bucks did, yeah. Not 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 last year's and last year now, but like a few years back. Nineteen eighty two. Yeah. So, you know, they were close. This is this is the season afterwards. And their their revenge tour was to go winless. <laughs> no. But anyway, you might say, okay, so jumping out to a fourteen to ten lead before the half, it's would have been a pretty safe bet to assume the Tony Pollard Cowboys would be able to put away the uh, Jack Thompson Buccaneers. Tony Pollard Cowboys? Yeah, it was Tony Pollard. Tony Pollard. Oh, this must have been a different Tony Pollard. Wait, am I? No, Tony Dorsett. I can't believe I said that. Yeah. yeah oh, my God. You, you... you ruined me. You kept talking <laughs> last year about how Tony Pollard was super good. Yeah. And now I now whenever I think of football Tony running back for the Cowboys, you've ruined me. So so Hall of Famer Tony Dorsett is the running back. He, he takes up less mind, space in my mind than Tony Pollard, and you've ruined me, Andrew. <laughs> and not only this, but Danny White must have been was the quarterback for Dallas. Mm-hmm. And this was and Danny White was really good. He's the guy who backed up um, Roger Staubach. Staubach, yeah. He so used anyway. to be a punter, by the way. He used to be a punter. I mean. Sammy Baugh didn't need to quit punting to be the best quarterback in football. And he was also a great corner. He's the best to ever do it. Don't even touch me. Uh, anyway, so you would think 14 to 10, Hall of Fame running back, really good quarterback, good team, undefeated. 14 to 10 lead for the Cowboys is pretty secure, right? Mm-hmm. Unfortunately for the uh, greater Arlington area, that would not actually be the case. <laughs> because... A 54-yard bomb to Gerald Carter from Jack Thompson gave Tampa a 17-14 lead, uh, to which Dallas could only respond with a Raphael Septin kick to even the score at 17. Now, heading into the fourth quarter, Tampa running back James Wilder broke away for a 23-yard touchdown dash. At this point, 
it was actually looking pretty dire with the Bucks up 24 to 17 and less than a minute to go. But it's a 50, it's a 52 yard pass from Danny White to Timmy Newsom to tie the game. Oh, let's go, Timmy Newsom. I like that name. Yep. So the Bucks were actually unable to muster any points in regulation, so the game heads to overtime. Unfortunately for the hopeful Florida fans, Septine puts any dreams of an upset to bed with one more field goal to give the Cowboys the win in the only overtime con- uh, contest between the two teams. Now, why did the undefeated Cowboys let the winless Bucks take them that far? <laughs> Turnovers, that had to have been. Well, yes, actually. Also, just playing really not very well. I don't know how else to describe it. Like, missed, like, not great completion percentage, not great yards for carry, you know? Just a, a sloppy game. I mean, people um, forget, though, those early Bucks defenses actually weren't that bad at all. It was well, just, it was just, the rest, the, 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 their offense was just so historically bad, which is what. What are your opinions on your team's execution? I'm all for it. <laughs> The, who, who was the coach who was the coach who said that uh, like what well, was mckay something like john, john mckay rich Mc, it was, was it john i think it was jack jack mckay okay yeah so you mentioned how you like timmy newsom's name but let me tell you he's more than just a good name right mm-hmm. so he was a do-it-all back for the cowboys a utility back really and he played fullback a bit of tight end he ran the ball uh as a just a normal sort of an h-back some, type right yeah, he did a lot. And he was actually selected for the All-Decade team by the Dallas Cowboys Weekly Paper. Now, unfortunately, he was released by Jimmy Johnson as part of the youth movement over there. But he's actually kind of a rather forgotten Cowboys player who played some really good football for the team, you know? He's not a 90s legend. He's not glamorous, but he got the job done. And here he prevented – he really saved the game for the Cowboys, right? Because it was less than a minute to go. They were down – a touchdown and he gave them a 52 yard TD. So yeah, yeah. all things considered uh, a good moment for a very good player. Who's not, who's a little bit of a footnote. Now you might be asking, did they ever meet in the playoffs? Will this foreshadow another playoff meeting? Well, the answer to your first question is yes. Your answer, the answer to the second question about whether they'll be meeting this year is no. I mean, no, well, well, it's not happening. Andrew, it's not happening. If the if the Bucks don't get the one seed, they will be automatically put in the in the second seed. There's only mm-hmm. there's only one first round bye nowadays. Yes, only, I know. So if the Bucks make it as the second seed and the Cowboys manage to scrape by in their god awful division, they will they're not even up. the are they even the second best team in their own division? Yes. Yes, they're at least that, Harry. Are they better than the Giants? Yes, Harry. Not with now. Colt McCoy, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> anyways, anyways, you were going to make When Jalen Hurts completes the season sweep to eliminate the Cowboys from playoff contention, you're going to look real stupid. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Anyway. Uh, they met twice in the playoffs. Oh, and really? I was, I was going to do a whole breakdown about like the seasons running up, and it was going to be so cool. Then I looked at the scores, and I realized this really wasn't going to be a section. The first time the teams met was in the divisional round for the 1981 playoffs. Do you know what the score was, Andrew? Uh, it must have been like 42 to 6. You're giving the Bucks a little too much credit here. It was 38 to nothing. Oh, oh. Yeah, the Cowboys just completely destroyed them. 
next year there was a wild card game and it wasn't a blowout but 30 to 17 isn't exactly a nail biter and that is it for the bucks cowboys playoff legacy but i know what you're saying you at home and you andrew where's bubby brister in all this where is he i mean it's bubby's brunch buddies you know sure we we, i mean we've abandoned the brunch part of the name but we can't abandon the bubby part i mean come on so anyway i admit i you know i have my work cut out for me i'm not i'm not gonna lie to you bubby never played for either of these teams right Mm -hmm. frankly their loss but you know let's talk about him i real first of all so let's just say, why did the Cowboys pay so much to Dak when they could have brought Bubby out of retirement? <laughs> I mean, I'm just... What, what is he, like Like 60? He's like 55 or something, okay? He's oh in good God. shape, though. I've seen him. I saw a picture of him. It was on social media. He looks pretty good. Yeah, I'm sure he could play. I'm sure he can make it. He's mobile. Don't forget that preseason scramble, okay? Obviously. Anyway, anyway... um. Bubby's connection to Tampa is actually pretty simple. One of his best highlights, a 79-yard touchdown throw to Lewis Lips, came against the Bucks. So there you go. And it was actually a close game that he helped them win. And who was he playing for at the time? The Steelers, of course. The Steelers. This is, this is, these are, this is prime Bubby for the Steelers. Um, but Bubby's connection to the Cowboys, well, again with the Steelers, he actually beat them 24-21 to in 1988. Now, that included a t uh, a touchdown scramble, so Bobby Wait, Brister, but mobile this quarterback. Would, this would have been the Cowboys that crashed and burned into getting the first overall pick, which ended in Troy Aikman. That's right. That means Bubby helped the Bubby Cowboys. Bubby is get single-handedly responsible for the '90s dynasty. No, it's not Herschel Walker. It's Bubby Brister. It absolutely is. Gotta love. That's him. just. Gotta love him. Bubby Brewster, even when he makes your team lose, he lets your team win. He's just that magnanimous, you know? He cares. He's just, what a gentleman and a scholar. Exactly. Now, that, that I'm just going to, that, that touchdown scramble, man, he was the prototypical mobile quarterback. Move over, Mike Vick. We've got Bubby <laughs> Brewster, you know? Okay, fine. Maybe the touchdown scramble was one yard, but it was the longest yard you've ever seen, okay? Man was running circles out there. Actually, I believe I can't confirm, but I've heard some rumors that apparently he actually ran all the way to right for the lip of the end zone, ran all the way back to the other side of the field, and then came back. I mean, they were drawing triangles on the field, you know, sine, cosine, tangent kind of deal to triangulate his way into the (laughs) corner of the end zone. That's exactly right. And, you know, he juked every single player on the defense at least three times. (laughs) That's just true. That's true. Don't quote me on that one, though. There is one last connection, but it's a rather tragic one. Um, So as you may know, the greatest crime in all of football history was when the Broncos passed over Bubby Brister, despite his years of of more than capable service as John Elway's backup, and selected Brian Greasy to start in 99. Truly unforgivable. Now, what is the connection to the Bucks or the Cowboys? Well, Brian Greasy, fast forward to 2008, and Brian Greasy is all of a sudden faced with the curse that he had taken advantage of to get that starting job in Denver. Because now he is the expendable veteran, and he spends his last in with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. There we go. By the way, folks, Brian Greasy is now a commentator. 
He's isn't a, he for college football? Um, I think he does NFL stuff as well. Hmm. So yeah, little bit of little bit of con- Bubby connections there. There's always plenty of Bubby stuff. So Andrew, who's gonna win, and why will the Cowboys be humiliated? Uh, uh, <laughs> look, you and I are both on a consensus on this. The Cowboys are almost certainly going to lose. And mm-hmm. if I wanted to do like a, a deep dive into both of these teams, I I, I could be here for hours. Mo- most of that would be gushing about the Tampa Bay roster and the fact that they brought all 22 starters back. That's actually pretty impressive. They're, that's that's genuinely impressive. They, they didn't lose a single member of their coaching staff. They didn't lose anybody on their roster. Really, the only the only difference about this year's roster is the the younger players got better and the older players got a year older, and they lost Mich- Lashawn McCoy, I guess. But um, shady man, if this was twenty fourteen, they would be they would be ruined. But let's go into this. So it's no secret that the Cowboys are almost entirely offense because their their defense. While well, it's got its points of talent, um, I just have no confidence in it. So I mean, okay, wait, 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 folks. I don't, I don't claim to know more about football in than Andrew in a lot of cases. But here, I think he's 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 putting on his a little his cowboy blinders here <laughs> because he just described the Cowboys' defense as having points of talent. Now he left out the part where they were historically awful last year. Okay, so let's be clear yeah. here. That, I mean, they correct. have quote unquote points of talent, but they also had a historically bad year last year. So let's just let's just say that, right? So let, why don't we start with the offenses of, of both teams? Uh, the Cowboys have one of the best receiving cores in the league. Uh, I would I'd say it's probably a consensus top five receiving core. You have sure. you have Amari Cooper, who it's amazing what a couple of drops can do to ruin your reputation. Because, and getting shut down by Trey Roy on Thanksgiving. But but you see, Amari Cooper, he's an amazing separator. He's a great athlete. And he, he gets open so well. He he is a bona fide number one receiver. They're probably gonna have another number one receiver here with CD Lamb, who I would compare to sort of this leaner, um leaner, quicker Des Bryant is is kind of what I would compare him to. Right? I, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. Harry. I know I'm boring you. I, I know I know you're. No, you're angry. not boring me. I'm just I'm just loving to hear this Cowboys fan rave about how his receiving core is so great. It Meanwhile, really, it, it, really it is. won't matter because the defense is literally <laughs> just Swiss cheese. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> it's just like we've got all these great receivers to play with Dak, and Dak's gonna need to play well because remember when he threw for 500 yards and they still lost? Yeah, that happened like two like two or three times last year. <laughs> it's gonna happen again but not because he's not gonna throw for 500 yards against this bucks defense but yeah so the thing is the cowboys receiving core is like a top five receiving core their offensive line is a top 10 offensive line except not this week because zach martin is out with covid so yeah see that's a little unfortunate so not only one of the not only the best player on the on the cowboys roster but one of the best players in the league is not on your offensive line. So that sucks. Um, I suppose you win some, you lose some, you know? Yeah. Like, and then... Don't know what the Cowboys are winning, though, to be and, honest. 
not much anything not the division not this game and not the playoffs such a pessimist such a pessimist i'm not a pessimist i'm just a realist the cowboys are a bum roster (laughs) (laughs) but i mean you go on the flip side i talk about the cowboys being in like a top five receiving core the bucks are the best receiving core better than the chiefs yes i would put them ahead of the chiefs they simply have more weapons is it because scotty martin's faster than tyreek hill you mean scotty miller Whatever his name is. <laughs> Whatever uh, his name is. He's an expendable slot receiver. <laughs> no, he's like he's actually got a little bit of yeah, speed. I know he's actually good, though, but like he's going to take a hit over the middle and never be the same. That's what happens to all the small slot guys. It really does. But you, you got you got OJ Howard, who's coming back from injury. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Who is... A, a, People thought they were going to trade him. Yeah. He's, he's just an uber-athletic tight end that hasn't just hasn't developed as as good as people had hoped um you, you still got gronk there he's still pretty solid uh mm. you got antonio brown who has gotten to relatively little drama for him man tom brady and antonio brown surely a love story for the ages <laughs> no matter what, what he does art. tom brady is always there to pick him back up <laughs> throw a chair at a woman and a child don't matter didn't he dump up a whole bunch of stuff out of his apartment building too traumatized a three-year-old um and his dad threw threw gummies that were not safe for work at uh and that's not they they were i don't think they were weed gummies i think they were just shaped inappropriately they they were they were shaped in a in a very inappropriate um image Uh didn't he throw that at his girlfriend while he was getting getting it at the cop too (laughs) Listen, the point is yeah we shouldn't make tom brady believes in redemption that's the point (laughs) But the the Bucks are are either the best or like a top three offense in the league. Cowboys are definitely sure. top ten. But mm-hmm. it's the defense where these teams drastically differ because the Bucks have the best defense in the league. Yeah, almost almost consensus top defense in the league. Mm-hmm. You have you have two amazing linebackers, two All Pro level linebackers. In Devin White and especially Levante David, please, folks, don't forget about Levante David. He's one of the best players in the league, and he keeps getting overlooked. It makes me so angry. But anyways, anyways, they have a, they have a solid defensive line. You know, good good pass rush, good run defensibility. But really, I feel like though Levante David's nothing compared to uh, Blake Martinez. You know. Oh, truly, truly. <laughs> the tackle numbers, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> For the folks who don't know, I absolutely despise Blake Martinez, and I I used to view him as the most overrated linebacker in the league. Who is it now? Uh, who's the most overrated linebacker? Darius Leonard. Mm. Darius Leonard, without a doubt. But yeah. that that's a rant for another day. Yeah, Harry. that's another time. But um, they they have one of the best secondaries in the league. They're all incredibly young, all on rookie contracts, all solid in coverage. You, especially uh, Antoine Winfield, who is their free safety, who yeah, played yeah. at an all-pro level last year as a rookie. Mm-hmm. Though not as good as Cameron Curl. Not as good. Not as good. Cameron Curl is the best thing to happen to football ever. Like Chase Young, who? I've got Cameron Curl. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't he already benched? Or are they starting him? No, well, it's complicated because they got Landon Collins and he's coming back. But you know, you, they're not—they're not benching Cam Curl. He's going to be there. He's, he's still going to play. There. He's going to play a lot. Anyway, anyways, again, Bucks defense, best in the league. Yeah. Cowboys defense, 
bottom three. Probably worst. I mean, what's who's worse than the Cowboys? Uh, probably the Texans. The Texans are not a team. They don't count anymore. <laughs> you can't be like, we're better than the Texans. Like, what? That'd be like if I said, oh, yeah, guys, I'm really tall. I'm taller than a kindergarten. That's not that's not a comparison anymore. The Texans are not a professional team anymore. They are a crater, okay, where a professional team once existed. Is Deshaun Watson really going to play for them? He's not. I don't think he's going to play. Tyrod's starting. So is he just going to sit on the bench? Is he going to yeah. be there? They're going to be paying him like 30-some million dollars to sit the, sit on the bench. What a mess. Oh, my God. Oh. I hate the well, Texans. Anyways. I hate the Texans yeah. so much. Anyway, the point is, I, I don't actually see, outside of maybe the Texans, I don't see a defense that's worse than the Cowboys because they really didn't upgrade it sufficiently, and it was really bad last year. Especially when we got robbed in the draft by Denver. Look, Look at it like this, right, Andrew? You know, it's all part of Jerry Jones' master plan, right? So you didn't get Patrick Sertain, right? I mean, I'm, but, yeah. But you don't need defense when you have offense. So Jerry Jones, is he's going all in on this offense, which, frankly, it's not even, like, a good enough offense to go all in on, right? <laughs> like, you know a team that went all in on this offense that got shellacked in the Super Bowl? 2013 Broncos. What, arguably the best offense ever statistically the best right full stop adam right? gase would agree no they were though they he said all the records peyton manning did but the, okay first of all dak prescott isn't 2013 peyton manning also they're paying zeke a ton of money to be okay i guess which is not good so i don't know i just i don't like the cowboys roster composition you know i mean i'm looking at i'm looking at defenses around the league right now i'd probably put sure. the jaguars under the cowboys uh, yeah, they Fal- kind of gutted their talent. Falcons under the Cowboys, probably. Hmm. And um, which, by the way, our defensive coordinator is Dan, uh, Dan Quinn. Dan- so oh. it's being modeled. Like- Seahawks fans take note. Seahawks fans take note, and also the Seahawks defense is also going to be really bad this year. Sure, but like the Seahawks are going to be really bad this year, so. <laughs> 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 but, uh... But but yeah, you I think you guys are getting the picture. The Cowboys are the two-faced team. It is a great offense with what's hopefully not going to be an as bad as long as it's not like historically bad. I think the Cowboys <laughs> are definitely winning the division. But, Whoa. Uh. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, this it's the matchup's not going to be pretty. Basically, Dak Prescott is going to have to live up to that forty-some million he's getting per year. Every single game, and um, inside of the Cowboys, there are two wolves. One is a generally above-average offense. The other is a historically bad defense, and that's just it. And listen, folks, I, they're not going to win the division. I'm sorry, it's not. I, I disagree with you. Their their schedule's really easy this it's year. It's the Washington football team why best defense in the division full stop everyone knows it but now we've got fitz magic okay curtis samuel can't touch him yummy brown can't touch him you know what i mean this is unbeatable we've got a quarterback now we're unstoppable and you know what if it's magic for whatever reason you know in the unlikely scenario you can't get him we've got taylor heineke that's right you know he outdueled tom brady in the playoffs that was right that's right anyway i'll never forget that I digress. So, 
that, but that does bring us actually to our broader point, Andrew, which is that now that we've previewed the matchup by essentially laughing the Cowboys out of the room, what are some other interesting matchups to keep an eye out for in this opening weekend? On opening weekend, well, I'm going. I'm looking at the at the you know slate of games, and mm-hmm. I think a couple of telling games are coming up. Obviously, Browns Chiefs is going to be the the other highlight game of the weekend. Sure, sure. It's it's very odd for the Browns to have actual expectations now. Especially when see how that goes. Especially when they have one of the best rosters in the league, just kind of all around. When when you encompass all the positions, you know, hires and coaching staffs, the Browns are are really up there this year. They are talented. Um, they have, they have an amazing run game, uh, a quarterback who I think can get them, you know, where they need to go. And obviously, mm. they're going against the uh, reigning AFC champs, and two years removed. The Chiefs had have won uh, the Super Bowl against the against the Niners, so right. it's going to be a really exciting game. Uh, obviously, I wish it was a little later in the year, just so both teams can kind of settle down and get into a groove before facing each right. other. Mm-hmm. But this is going to be a really telling game of the year, um, just to see how prepared are the Browns, uh, t- how ready are they to carry expectations. Because expectations haven't been with the Browns since, what, in the 80s? When Belichick was their head coach, Elway, the drive, early 90s, early 90s. Early 90s. If even, if even. And that was before they moved. Yep. They haven't had expectations. The new Browns have not had any expectations ever. Tim Couch. Tim Couch. Love Tim Couch. Anyway, so... Yeah, that's a, that's a certainly an interesting game. Uh, any other games that you think are going to be some notable matchups? Notable matchups, notable matchups. Um, I'm trying to find ones that are that are kind of going to be telling. Um, I like the Cardinals Titans. Um, mm. I, I think that matchup is going to be interesting, mostly because I think you have a very much uh, a finesse style team in the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. Going up against a much more physical-minded mm-hmm. team in the Titans. So what you're saying is that the Titans play smash-mouth football. Is that what you're saying, Andrew? Kinda, yeah. And that the, the Cardinals are... Uh, Soft. A prissy team that don't play real football. <laughs> and they're going to underperform expectations because they don't respect the game. And they don't hit hard. Is that what you're saying? I mean, not, That's what ne- I'm hearing. not necessarily. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> I mean, my my problem, uh, and this is why I think this game's gonna be really telling. I want to see how Kyler Murray responds to that kind of physicality, especially on this team, uh, on this team that he's on, because yeah. they they have Rondell Moore now, who is a really who's an excellent slot run after catch threat that they drafted this year. They still have DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, they have Christian Kirk there this year. They allegedly have AJ Green. You know, the corpse of A.J. Green after finally being released. Just like Emmett Smith. He's a legend. Just like Emmett Smith, dude. That and they have J.J. Watt as well. So new Mm -hmm. retirement homes. Let me tell you, man. If this was 2016, you'd be dead. Okay? (laughs) Unstoppable. Truly. Actually, though, 
Like those th- that one year they went like thirteen and three with Carson Palmer. If they had JJ Watt and AJ Green, Lord, they could have won the Super Bowl. Yeah, they they really would have. Anyway, anyway, anyways, the reason I I say that is because I want to see how Kyler Murray responds to that kind of physical defense and being able to really. I want to see him attack the middle of the field more. Uh, I want mm. him, I want him to be a little more accurate over the field, be able to float balls over over linebackers' heads, stuff like that. Um, yeah, and also I want to see how this new look Titans offense is, is going to be with, uh, you know, plugging in AJ Brown and Julio Jones, and a bit more of a depleted offensive line here for the Titans, um, especially because uh, Isaiah Wilson didn't work out at all. <laughs> so Andrew, I gotta ask you, right? We talked actually, and this was was this yeah this was last year we talked about the Julio Jones trade, yes. right? The offseason. And you said that this put the Titans, if I recall correctly, they put them back into the title conversation. Not necessarily favorites or contenders, but they were in the conversation, a dark horse. Yes. Yes, I do. Does this mean that you you do favor them over the Cardinals here? I do. Tentatively. I do, because I still think the Cardinals are very have a very squishy interior line. I mm-hmm. don't I don't think they're gonna have a great run defense. Um I think their pass, their their ability to to prevent the pass is going to be better because they have Zayvon Collins now. They already drafted Isaiah Simmons, both really athletic right. coverage coverage minded linebackers. Um, they have they have um, um, Buda Baker. Buda Baker. Buda Baker's he's overrated, but he he's good. Um, good, yeah. People think he's like the best safety in the league, and that that's just crazy. Yeah, everyone but, knows it's Cameron Curl. <laughs> everyone knows. <laughs> On this show, it's Cameron Curl. <laughs> there are three fundamental truths. Bobby Brister is the greatest to ever do it, except for Sammy Baugh, and also Cameron Curl's the best safety. <laughs> no favoritism. No favoritism. No favoritism. We are facts. unbiased. That's right. Okay, if you don't like the facts, that just means you're biased. But, um, um I, again, I, I, I like the Titans this year, um, and I, I'd really like to see how they do. Now their defense, uh, you, we, I really want to see how Caleb Farley fares because obviously mm-hmm. he's the uh, he's the top he was one of the top ranked corners in this year's draft until uh, some spinal injury information came up and right. he was kind of pushed down the draft board a little bit. Cowboys should have drafted him probably, but don't worry, we would have screwed him up anyways. We don't need him. <laughs> <laughs> offense only offense only offense. I think they only drafted defense this year too. That was re- that's really funny. It's like um the Angels, the L- the the L A Angels of Anaheim. L A Angels. Know, they have, have never had pitching throughout the entire Mike Trout era, and so this year, this past draft, they drafted all pitchers. That's twenty rounds. Every single one. Was one of them's got a hit, right? Now everyone knows in the MLB draft, since they're years and years away, you draft not for need but for you know Potential. best available. So they, people were laughing him out of the room for that, but that that appears to be the strategy that is being employed by the Cowboys at this point. We'll see how it works out. Yeah, but uh, I do favor the Titans in this game, though I do think Kyler Murray is the better quarterback. So then um, Brian Tannehill. Yeah. Sure. What do you mean? Also what, do you, Derek Henry. what do you mean? Sure. Did you see how he played in the playoffs? Brian yeah, Tannehill. no, he, he's he's overrated. People yeah, think he's yeah. a top ten quarterback. I mean, Lord, if he's a top ten quarterback, Dak Prescott must be something else. 
<laughs> he must actually be worth that contract. <laughs> but uh, uh, but yeah, uh, I think those are those are two really notable games: the Chiefs, mm-hmm, Chiefs mm-hmm. and Browns, Cardinals and Titans. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you want me to go over one more game, or just or... tell me how the Washington football team is going to win? That's all I need to hear now. How are they going to win? Yeah. They might actually win. That's the thing. Might, will, will. Strength um, of belief, Andrew. So, Justin Herbert, you and I were both very, very wrong on Justin. That Herbert. is true. Uh, he he is simply the the quarterback that was, you know, quarterbacking the Oregon Ducks in 2019 is simply not the same man who is currently quarterbacking mm-hmm. the LA Chargers. It, it it really is night and day. Uh, he he already looks like a young Matthew Stafford, but yeah. but he needs to do it again. He needs to prove he's consistent. I don't. Anyone want him. heard of a sophomore slump? He might. I if he sophomore slumps back to what he was at Oregon, um, I'm not gonna pretend like I was right about him all along because clearly, you know. That potential's in him, and I don't think he's gonna backslide that hard. I really don't. Right, right. But I think the Washington football team needs to take this need to take advantage of this right now. Take advantage of a quarterback going into the second year with you know newfound expectations and squash them immediately, especially mm-hmm. with one of the league's top top defenses, um, a, a low key actually genuinely talented offense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, watch so, the Washington football team have a better offense than the Cowboys. That would really ruin oh, that, Jerry Jones. <laughs> that would that would ruin me. That would hurt me, Harry. <laughs> but um, but the the thing is that last year the football team really didn't have the the offense to hang with most teams. We had grit. <laughs> there was grit there. Eleven and O Steelers. Eleven and one Steelers. Dude, the Steelers almost lost to Garrett Gilbert's led Cowboys, okay? What was that? Uh, Garrett Gilbert. <sighs> Dude, he, he got, got cut. cut. He got yeah, cut. Yeah, he got cut. Yeah. My mm. prodigal son. Wow. It's almost like Texas, you know, Texas QBs, man. Colt McCoy. Love him, but you never got a starting job anywhere, you know? You never really stuck. Yeah. You did see it. Vince Young either. No. Yeah. Vince Young. Well, Vince Young was kind of ruined by Jeff Fisher, but that's... That's, that's neither here nor there. So anyway, yeah, so the short, long and short of it is the Washington football team is definitely going to beat Justin Herbert, and they're going to break him completely beyond repair. That's that's the gist of it. <laughs> Cameron Kerr will have six interceptions. Only um, six? And uh, Chase Young will, will not only sack the quarterback ten times, he will actually rush for ten touchdowns. <laughs> they'll put him in at running back? No, they'll, <laughs> put, him in at, they'll put him in at fullback. They put him in a fullback, and he'll be he'll channel he'll channel in his inner Timmy Newsom actually. That's right. It's a callback. We do this on the show, you know. We're we're not even shaking the rust off at this point, folks. We're just we hitting, we are we, hitting the ground running. We reward the attentive listener. Anyways, I think so, that kind of sums up our thoughts on opening weekend here for for the NFL yes. season. Super excited for football to be back, mm-hmm. but. There is a team we follow that we like yeah, to feature on this show. Mm-hmm. That uh, Bobby Brister did not play for them. He, unfortunately, God robbed us of that opportunity. True. Perhaps they would have won a World Series if Bobby Brister had played for them. We don't know. 
We don't know. We don't know. But, but Harry, I think it's time that we talk about your Seattle Mariners. So I'm actually wearing a Seattle Mariners t-shirt, which I am wearing right now because they were they lost two games to the Astros. Fortunately, uh, they won they won Wednesday's game. So now Thursday is an off day before they come home to play the Diamondbacks, which is a, a series they need to pick some games up on. And then the biggest series of the season is against the Red Sox. Now, why is that, folks? Well, the Seattle Mariners are, by most traditional measures, a... a how do I say this? A bad team. Their run differential is in the toilet. A lot of their wins have come from one-run ball games that are heavily luck-based. They've had multiple walk-off walks in a single season. It is not, this is not a team that wins, that looks good winning, right? But here they are. Here they are winning. So the Mariners are in an interesting spot. Because they are only, and this is as of Wednesday night, this being uh, the, the 8th, 8th of September, yeah. the 8th, they are two and a half games back from the wild, from the second wildcard spot, which is itself only separated by, um, which is itself only separated by half a game between the Red Sox and the Yankees. And there are some interesting things going on. There's some interesting dynamics. First of all, we have the Yankees and the Red Sox who have generally stuck in the wildcard spots throughout the year, right? Now the Yankees surged ahead. They won 13 straight games. It was unbelievable, right? Now they've lost, was it five in a row? Yeah. They kind of crashed and burned after that. I mean, after that massive rise, I, it was unbelievable. Um, and so they're now in a spot where they don't even hold the first wild card anymore. They hold the second one. They're half a game back from the Red Sox, who have been enjoying their own more extended tailspin. The Red Sox, uh, if you may recall, actually jumped out to a really early division lead, and they held on to that as, as late. They were competing for the division as late as, like, June, if I recall. But they really just kind of fell off and fell off and fell off. But the return of ace Chris Sale has really steadied them. And we see them now playing decent baseball. So they are, they have the first wildcard spot by half a game. Moving down the standings, we have Toronto. And because God hates the Mariners, just as the Mariners are closing the distance, the Toronto Blue Jays go on a seven-game winning streak to leapfrog the Mariners to be half a game back, a game ahead of the Mariners. So this is, a, then this is notable here because the Mariners do not control the fate of the Blue Jays. They, in many ways, control their own fate. They direct, They will play the Red Sox in a three-game series, a critical three-game series, right? Mm-hmm. But the Blue Jays don't play the Mariners. They play, they'll play. they play one more game against the Yankees. They'll play some series against some bad teams. They'll play a series against the Rays, and then they'll play one more series against the Yankees. If you're a Mariners fan, you have to be watching those Yankees and Rays series because there's no way we can make up extra distance on the Red Sox without that right mm-hmm. I, uh, excuse me the Red Sox the Blue Jays we don't play the Blue Jays we need them to lose there's no way around that right but moving down we have the Mariners who are themselves only half a game ahead of the Oakland Athletics now the A's have been playing pretty mediocre ball recently and the Mariners actually took out the trash a good number of times playing them but they're only half a game back so if the Mariners end up falling back there's essentially Essentially, we should look at this wildcard race at this point as no margin for error, right? 
the Mariners essentially have to win every single series they play at this point, right? Yeah. And if other teams don't lose, they need to start sweeping. They are not the favorites to make the playoffs, right? Let's make that abundantly clear. Yeah, the pressure is definitely up for the Mariners, though I'm genuinely excited to see the Mariners actually in contention again. Mm-hmm. Because I I wasn't really that into baseball until this just a couple of months ago when I actually kind of started to pay attention, right? And for as I'm sure most of you are aware, this is the 20th anniversary of the of the 2001 116-win team. That's right. So for wouldn't Ugh. it be so poetic if the Mariners made it on the 20th anniversary of that season? I would I would love mm. for that to happen. Um the the fact that the Mariners actually have a chance this year um it, they've been they've been such a scrappy team this year too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And you know what's interesting is that they've been that classic scrappy team cuz you know what Andrew? If you actually look at this, right? The Seattle Mariners are 40 and 29 at home, 36 and 35 away. This is a team that wins at home. This is a team that wins through its bullpen, wins through like low-key contributors. Let me point this out to you, right? Chris Flexen, the team's most reliable starter, signed from Korea. Very minor, under-the-radar deal. Paul Seawald, the team's best reliever, minor league contract. Drew Steckenrider was a minor pickup, right? Mm-hmm. So what you're seeing here is that a lot of the best players on this team are not the big names that people thought were going to contribute. They are bit players who have really stepped up, you know? So I think you're seeing a very a very interesting situation. Now, just recently, the Mariners beat the Astros 8-5, to which was very good uh, because that avoided a sweep. And interesting little story here, Andrew. Did you know that the Mariners have essentially not been able to beat the Astros consistently since 2018? Uh, I mean who has yeah true counterpoint they have the second worst record between divisional opponents since 2019 against the astros oh gosh it's really bad we can't beat them at all so we just played our last game against them thank god we can go play the diamondbacks hopefully we can sweep them again that seems like a lot to ask but folks Really pay attention. It is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. This upcoming Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday against the Red Sox. This is the season. Just straight up. There's nothing more to it. If the Mariners sweep the Red Sox, they could actually take the wild card outright. If they gain a game or two through the Diamondback series, they only need to win the series. If they lose the series, it's a devastating blow. If they get swept, it's over. So there is essentially... And so as we close in on the final few weeks of the season... The Mariners are, for the first time since 2016, really, genuinely in it, you know? There's no way around that. So, Andrew, I have a quick question for you, Mm -hmm. right? Who do you think will step up down the stretch? You got just a hunch. I mean, because the thing is, you can do all the analytics, Mm -hmm. but you don't know. This team is so unpredictable. So, you got a hunch? Anybody? Um, I got two players that I really want to do well. Sure. And it's ones that I've seen. Uh, over these past couple of days, because we've actually been able to go to games now, mm-hmm. I'd love for either Abraham Toro or Jared Kelnick to step up. And mm-hmm. now, is Kel- Kelnick is still on the roster, right? Yes, and he has been hitting better. He's managed okay. to raise his average to just really bad. Okay, <laughs> but he's actually been hitting like he's been hitting like two seventy since August. So okay, he's been okay. Okay, he's been good even. Yeah, and not only that, but he has a really good glove as well. 
Yeah. Most of the time, except he still makes some weird errors. Like, he's mostly really good, except for, like, a few weird mental errors, but that's a rookie thing. Yeah, and also Abraham Toro. Uh, prize possession from the Graveman trade. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> Nearly he, blew up the clubhouse. Yeah, but he's actually been pretty good. So Yes. Mm-hmm. And he's young, too, isn't he? Very young, club controllable. That was the logic behind the Graveman trade, is that Graveman's a... Uh, a later than 30 reliever with no more club control versus Toro who's young and club controllable so but yeah but I think it's actually interesting that you bring them up because that's exactly who Mariners fans want to step up more than anything in the world you know yeah I I, I don't know I'd I'd really like for I'd really like for those two to step up because it feel for the first time ever because I never really had this as a sports fan uh, as, more specifically as a baseball fan, being able to watch a young prospect kind of develop right in front of your eyes, especially being able to physically be there to watch them at the games, that's mm-hmm. kind of a, a connection I haven't really had because, obviously, I'm living here in Washington. All my favorite teams are in Texas. So yeah. it's kind of hard to to be that, you know? But, right, right. But having this in front of my eyes, it's exciting. It's exciting. Yes, mm-hmm. and I will say one thing, which is that, I liked Jared Kelnick before he came up, but I think I've, I've developed this weird relationship as a fan with Jared Kelnick because he was always this prodigy who was going to be really good and set the league on fire, but I've actually started to root for him more and love him more as a fan the more he has failed because the more I want him to sort of overcome that. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's part of being I mean, a sports I think, fan. I think it really has become to a certain point where I don't... I mean, when, when Kelnick first came up, I wanted Kelnick to succeed because... He could he could really do a lot for the Mariners, but now I just want Kelnick to succeed to prove that he can. You know what I mean? And I think that, but I've quite I've quite grown to love Kelnick. Uh, of course, my old reliable Mitch Hanniger has been a huge contributor on this team, and unfortunately, he has been good but not absolutely on a tear over the past few months. So, if he got hot late, would give a you know great narrative for Mitch. Love would love to see that. Um, in terms of guys to keep an eye on, there are a few. So this team has relied very heavily on its pitching. Marco Gonzalez, except barring uh, his most recent start, has looked pretty good. So, you know, we're hoping to see Marco returning to his ace form. You say Kikuchi has been scuffling recently. That's not great, but if he bounces back late, it'll all be forgotten. You know, that's that's how, that's what it is. When you play big baseball games, it doesn't matter what you did last time. It matters what you're doing now. Um, and the, here's good news, is that Diego Castillo, one of the uh, the acquisition to replace Graveman in the deadline, mm-hmm. really struggled, goes on the IL with shoulder fatigue. He's come back, and he's looked like the real deal, you know? So, all things considered, this is not a Mariners team that is likely to make the playoffs. I wouldn't lay money on it. But it's a, it's a lot of fun to watch, Absolutely. you know? Absolutely. And I think on that note, Harry... I think that'll bring it close to our first episode back. I think so. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Bubby's Brunch Buddies. Hope you've enjoyed, get a new perspective on this upcoming season opener, or at least gain some Bubby Brewster trivia. Thanks again for listening.